welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sinclair, joined by my very good friend, Mr. Drew Garrison, who is also a co-host. Uh, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing. <laughs> you think good. after after four years, I'd figure out how to how to introduce you? But it's. I think so much emphasis goes into like how you're going to just introduce it in general, and then you just lose lose track of what's going on, and then you just say ridiculous things. But but I'm doing good. I'm in like a golden retriever. I'm just like that's squirrel. yeah it's, yeah very much so. Um, so I'm in week two of my of my hiatus my december hiatus which uh i gotta tell you everybody should do this just take december off i read this thing about how um like mankind was not meant to be outside in december because it gets so cold so, you know if you just go back into like the you know back to cavemen and stuff like that it's like just you know batten down the hatches and just get through the worst part of winter and then come back out next year and i just think that we need to go back to that i mean I don't know. You know I, I like snowboarding. I'm, I'm good with being outside. Okay, fine. But you still got to work. And I just maybe maybe it's just the work thing. Like if you just got to enjoy yourself like snowboarding and stuff. And so it's been it's been really fun, though. And I, I, uh, I want to do this every year now. I think I'm just gonna quit my job every November. You just gonna just, switch and just switch. It's good. it's good thing this isn't recorded and definitely not on the internet forever. It's fine. I mean, it's it's, you know, listen, they know what's going on. I mean, I don't hide anything. Never have, never will. Um, but uh, but I, you know, it's it's been good. It's gone by fast enough to where I feel like I'm not like bored. I'm not like itching to get back to work or anything. Like I'm getting some stuff done, but I'm also making sure to relax and actually catch up on all the rest that none of us got the last two and a half years. So um, I'm doing it for everybody else. Is the way I really look at it. Is I'm really fun on this. Awfully sort. nice of you. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing that I had to do was I had to take a month off because who knew that I was going to be receiving a rum encyclopedia last week that I would have dedicated, I needed to dedicate all my time to. And so, you know, when I say something like that, it's because they tell you not to meet your heroes, kids, unless that man's name is Matt Petrick, then go and meet that guy because he's fucking amazing. And he is our guest tonight on the Good Bottle Podcast. Uh, Matt, you are the cocktail wonk. You are a multiple time dope follow. Your book is a dope follow. Um, I think just you in general are a dope follow. Actually, welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. And and uh, I confess I've never heard of a dope follow before, but I'm in the <laughs> It's um, It's this, I, I mean, I don't even know how, how we started it. I just think that in this industry, there are so many people who we do think are dope and outside of it and stuff like that, because we, it's not limited to just the industry, but we wanted to just constantly find ways to talk about somebody else, at least every single podcast, because nothing is more self-serving than hosting your own podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. So in order to make peace with that, it was like, okay, every, Every time we do this, we want to make sure that we highlight somebody else for people to go check out. And it's been fun because, you know, we've had people who were dope follows and eventually come on the show and, and stuff like that. And it just kind of ends up being this weird bridge that um, 
that we end up making with people. But yeah, so that's that's the dope follow. I, I mean, I think that's why we came up with it, but I don't no, I don't fully remember. It sounds good to me. That's yeah, idea. it sounds sounds like the right right thing. Four years later, uh, you know, uh, you know the uh, the I I like the analogy of the um the the modern podcast is the uh, is the, is the new garage band. You know, it's. <laughs> It's, it's uh we, we've all got it and uh you're like hey listen to my podcast hey come come check out my show yeah yeah it's yeah. definitely it's definitely a little bit out. okay so let's let's move away from this podcast and let's talk about our guest matt so um why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and then more importantly what are you sipping on yeah so uh my name is matt petrick i am not a bar professional i'm Never worked in the industry. I was a software developer and software architect for 30 years. And somewhere along the line, I fell down the tiki rabbit hole, uh, thanks to Jeff Berry and his, uh, what was it, Sip and Safari, and fell down the rabbit hole. And uh, a short distance down that rabbit hole was rum. And uh, rum sort of became the obsession of my life. But uh, in in uh, 20, 2017, no, I'm sorry, 2018, both my wife and I had decided, like, you know, we're kind of done with this. Like, we have good, good, respectful career, respectable careers, make good money. We live in Seattle. We have a view of Lake Washington. We're kind of tired of this, of, of working so that we could pay other people to do things because we had no time. And we we both had dreams we wanted to pursue. Um, for me, I had I had been writing uh, the Cocktail Walk blog since 2013, um, primarily because my my wife told me, like, I love you, honey, but you need to tell other people this stuff. Like, you can't tell me everything. <laughs> Go share that with other people. And I had had a prior career as a writer. I'd written some books on uh, the, the internals of Microsoft Windows. Um, uh, unauthorized, but that but that's a lot of what I do. Um, but, but you know, the writing, used to write about Windows, started writing about cocktails, started started, you know, figuring out the answers to my own questions. A lot of things like, where is this bottle from? Or what does this label mean when it says this? Um, a lot, you know, I'm good at just tracking down information, relentlessly tracking down information. And so I was doing that uh, in the cocktail walk blog and sort of sharing what I know. Like if I've done the work to to figure it out, like I mean, it's dumb for me to just not do anything with it. I should share it. And so the Cocktail Walk blog, you know, had achieved a certain amount of success. Uh, you started to be invited, you know, go to take, you know, come to this distillery, go look at this distillery, you know, uh, go see more. And at some point I'm like, you know, my work is getting in the way of all my extracurricular fun. And so uh, in 2018, we both, we both quit our jobs. Um, my wife to go to grad school here in New Orleans, where we are, and me to just throw myself into this writing wherever that would might lead. And the first, uh, the first big project once we quit our jobs was to write uh, Minimalist Tiki, our, our uh, cocktail book, our cocktail, Tiki cocktail book. I was write Minimalist Tiki in a period of about six months, frantically finishing it so that we could like pack everything in the car and drive across the country to New Orleans. Uh, and then um, COVID hit short, you know, shortly thereafter. And uh, that's when I started the long trek of writing what is now modern Caribbean rum? That's so it's so awesome. So obviously, I've been following you for quite a while, and you've definitely one of my, if not my favorite, you know, writer when it comes to rum. Because I just think that you do take these concepts that have long been very confusing and hard to understand, and just make them a lot more digestible 
And, you know, and that probably comes, you know, from the fact that you were used to breaking down software, which is, is really complicated. And then, you know, then also kind of being the quote unquote outsider before you came in, came into this, um, you know, as you, as you go through this process, and I do have to comment, like Minimalist Tiki is also a really great book, and I really enjoyed it. And I just remember, you know, when it first came out, I think, you know, we talked about it at Miami, the year, like 2020, right? So that was like February of 2020. And it was, you know, and it was kind of like comical to think of something as like minimalist tiki. And it was a relatively thick book and I have it on my shelf over here, but, um, you know, it was a thick book and it was kind of a joke. And then, you know, your Caribbean rum book comes out. I'm like, <clears throat> never mind. That was definitely minimalist for Matt. Like, okay, this totally, uh -huh. this totally checks out the, I just needed to wait for the sequel. That was, that's what I was <laughs> waiting for. Um, so, you know, you, you, you know, you're speaking, you're speaking to the fact that it's like, you know, you start writing this book during COVID where, you know, before you were able to travel to these places and you were able to do these things, you know, and actually like, you know, be in these distilleries, what was it like to then have to change your approach, change your research to being like, okay, well, I'm confined to this one space. How do I get access to all these things? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I will say I was very fortunate to have been to maybe 12 to 15 distilleries uh, before I started. And just my own research, my own writing had led me to a pretty strong sense of what the production process was. Like everybody has to be doing A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And so, you know, and I had lots of firsthand examples from my own work, uh, work and my own travels to places. So I knew, you know, I knew what what I would be looking for at every distillery. And so uh, one of the things I did was, well, X back up. I knew that in order to do this properly, I couldn't just say like, these are, here's Matt's modern Caribbean rum of the distilleries Matt's been to. You know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be comprehensive. So I knew I would need to rely on the distilleries themselves <clears throat> to, to provide that information. Um, but I, you know, and, and I love all the producers, but I, you know, I know if you ask them, like, tell me about your rum making, you're going to get the story told 19 different ways. Um, you know, it's going to be fluffed up. It's going to, you know, going to like hide some things and uh, enhance other things. And so I, what I did is one of the cornerstones of that research uh, for places I hadn't been was I created a, a Google Forms because, you know, I'm a tech guy. They created a Google Forms and it's a basically 20 questions and a series and not like tell tell me about your fermentation it was it was like more detailed like okay which type of yeast are you using like this type this type or this type tell me about your distillation how many stills do you have how many are continuous how many are pot stills what is the what is the capacity of the pot still what is the strength of the rum coming off the pot still i basically broke <clears throat> broke down the information i needed into a granular enough level where in like any any distillery, any producer could in theory have filled this form out in like 10 minutes, but it also it had the benefit of giving me a co comprehensive and also consistent view across these distilleries by, by not letting them answer however they wanted, but it was a set of like your you know specific details and you you know and you only have so many choices to choose from. I I was able to get a lot of information in a in a coherent, consistent way across the stories. And I think that's one of the, the I think the 
good things about this book is, you know, lots of people will go to distilleries and they'll write up their experiences of it. But, you know, you're going to get, you know, if you if blogger A writes about it, blogger B writes about it, they're going to take completely different approaches. And in this book, um, every distillery has, is treated consistently in terms of how it's described and how it's written about. So for at least this one, this one book, you have a coherent, consistent view of Caribbean rum. How, uh, how readily do you, did you find that um, uh, distillers or distilleries were willing to answer those questions? Um, there was, some were very happy, you know, and, you know, cases of my friends, people I had met, not hard at all. Um, some were a little reticent, like, you know, is this technical detail? Like, do you know, do we, can we share this? Um, there was only, only one distillery that, that, uh, chose to say like, nope, we don't want to be part of this. I'm like, okay, not a problem. Uh, I'll just come visit you. Uh, and, and a couple, a couple that simply didn't get back to me, didn't reply. I tried over and over again. And so there's a certain island that makes a whole hell of a lot of rum. That's not, in the, not in the book and not for lack of effort on my part. So, yeah. Well, I think that's like one of the things that, that I really enjoy and you know, I told you this last week, it's like, I basically just have like a notes form of all the notes I'm going to send you and like my thoughts throughout the book. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause it is long. And I, and again, I apologize for what's about to happen to you with that email, but <laughs> no, uh, I'll, I'll blow one of the early ones. Like what I, what I really like and what I've, what I've just come to appreciate, you know, about the way that you kind of go about it is, you know, this, this can be an intimidating book when someone just looks at it you know uh just sitting on a sitting on a shelf or anything like that because it, it is thick it is extremely comprehensive but i think in you know in just the very beginning you lay out how exactly you're going to go about the process and you talk about like some like why things were included why things weren't included what certain things are going to mean the phrases that you know or the terminology that you're going to use moving forward just for consistency purposes and i think when when you do that it's just kind of like, it's like, okay, you know, obviously I spend a lot of time on this, but it can still be intimidating. And then now knowing what the framework of the conversation is going to be going into it, I think is so important. And I think so many people skip that, especially when it comes to spirits writing, because for the most part, everybody gets really insider baseball with it, right? And you're using terms and maybe you do a glossary and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, and which you also do that. But it's like, you know, you have, you just have this way of, you, you broke it down where you're kind of like, this is how we're going to go about this. We're going to talk about all these different things where this might've been ignored in the past. We're going to put a spotlight on it. This is how we're going to talk about it. And I just, I just really appreciate that. And then of course, you know, getting into just some of like the real, like, I mean, again, I'm still at the beginning, so there's a lot more to, to dive into, but it's just for someone who, who has all that, like it, it didn't also, it also didn't come off as repetitive, you know, cause sometimes those books can do that too. Like, Oh, another whiskey 101 or whatever, like this, whatever, <laughs> like that. Um, you know, so, you know, this, this book is over 800 pages, right? Um, it's 850 if you if you like we paid to print 850 pages and so look at the page numbers becomes like 830 but if you look at it like, oh there's the preface and all those things yeah, aren't covered pages. yeah. But yes it is 850 pages of what we paid to print so 
So in, in one of, one of the things that we were talking about last week, when I got the book where you're like, you know, and, and we had to cut it down to get it to this number because we didn't want to be too overwhelming. And I, and I, cause you didn't want it to become like a coffee table book. Like you still wanted people to be able to, I don't know if curl up with it is the, maybe the right way. But, but I, I, I would, you know, and, and you explained it to me before, but I was hoping you could do it for our listeners where you're just trying to talk about just like the mindset of being like, okay, 900 is too many, but 850, this is like, we're, we cut out the right things, you know? So we didn't, it wasn't so much that we picked a page number or page count to go to. It was, a, it was a matter of, well, here's the material we have. We're laying it out. Like, you, you know, we, you know, at some point, you know, we had, we had laid out enough of the book where we knew, you know, we have a, few hundred pages and you can kind of tell like what the what um it's, it's a good enough of a sample size where you can say like if you take the word count and the photo count you can essentially calculate because on an average page has this many words some have more some have less because the photos but you can kind of get a, a good idea of an average and then you can then apply that to the to the you know it's like okay if it's say 300 words a page and you can look at like well haven't we laid out and that's 30,000 words you know you can do the math and figure that out so um but we, you know we kind of had, had an idea going in like okay you know we maybe thought 600 pages like that would be around 600 pages and Carrie my wife the co-author names on cover for good reason um she was like ah it won't be six it may be 500 well, by the time we got through the the first three sections and we start to producers, um, we were already at at uh, two or probably around three hundred. And then, you know, we get through Barbados, like, oh, well, that that ended up being like fifty five pages. Jamaica ends up being sixty pages, and so that moment is that like, oh shit, moment, <laughs> like, and we still have eighteen more countries to go to, <clears throat> go through. And so um, at some point, you know, it sort of caused me to sort of um, going forward because as she was laying out, I was racing ahead and trying to select pictures for chapters <clears throat> in front of her. Like, you know, I don't need photos for this chapter. If she hasn't laid it out yet. So I, I sort of changed, altered my like how many pictures I might choose for a distillery. Um, and even then, at some point, we're like, we're still, this is a monster. And so we just like, we sort of went back and like, okay, we can trim out this picture here and this picture here. Like we, we had a process where we could like remove a set of pictures from a, from a chapter without completely screwing up the layout. Didn't want to lay out everything again. Um, and that, you know, and that car carved some more pages off. And then at some point you're like, you know, there's a sort of like section five of the book shorter but still you know a few chapters in six and five and we're like you know this this is sort of like not quite as it's a little it's a little more consumer focused a little mm -hmm. more person focused like let's just what if we didn't do that and so long story short it ended up being uh 850 pages but that was that was after we sort of you know removed opportunistically removed photos cut some chapters uh, and honestly, we didn't know, like we figured like, okay, let's just get an actual page count. No more ask our printer, like, can you do this? Like, are, <laughs> are you going to say this is nuts? 
<laughs> like how big is how big is this thing going to be? Um, and you know, the printer said, "No, we, you know, 800, or whatever the number was, is is you know that'll work. It'll be fine. Um, you know, heavy bindings, and all that kind of stuff. You know, be more expensive. But like, okay, gonna do it. Um, but but yeah, it was it was sort of this is it was sort of like you know the train was barreled down a track. We were doing our best to kind of slow it down, but it still ended up there. So we have plenty of fixtures we didn't use and chapters and. Maybe someday we'll do something like that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the you know what I obviously it comes across just when you talk about it, stuff like that. But you know, obviously this is something that you're very passionate about, and this is something that um, you know it's been driven by a duffel, couple of different factors. And just thinking about from from like an industry standpoint, and if you're talking to someone who was in a similar position as you, or or maybe it's a bartender, maybe it's a bar owner, and stuff like that. I mean. What are some of the like trials and tribulations that you go through when it comes to producing a book? Because you know, you've done Minimalist Tiki, you now have the Caribbean book. I know there's another project, which I don't know if you're allowed to talk about or not, that has all of its hangups that have happened. But it's like, you know, if you were if you were talking to someone and it was just like, hey, you know, Matt, I really want to contribute to this world of spirits books. What do you what do you think? What's your re reaction to a question like that at this point? Come talk to us. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so essentially, you know, there's there's two very high level answers. It's sort of like choose your own adventure. One is to one is to go down the the path of working with a traditional publisher, and you know that's an experience where you sort of hand over your words and your images, and you hope they do something good with it, and you know you'll get paid you know relatively small amount per per book or, you know, that's path A. The other path B is like, you do everything like what we did. So it's it's writing, editing, copy editing, proofing, laying out, photo selection, um, all of those things, um, you know, and fortunately like, you know, I'm good with writing, I'm good with photo. <laughs> Carrie is good with everything else. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you produce, you produce very, specially formatted in extremely large PDFs that you you then get to you then get to um, send to your to a printer who will uh, also ask for a very large check or multiple very large checks. Uh, and then in two to three months you'll get you know 10 to 60 or 10 to you know you know 60,000 pounds of books um, <laughs> which will arrive and you're like, where do I put where do I put all these books? <laughs> And you're like, now I have all these books. How do I sell them? So, not only not only are we doing all the all the writing and the upfront creative process and the laying out process, we're also doing the the paying process and then the the whole distribution process of like you know e-commerce stores fulfillment, all that stuff. So we literally do everything short of except the actual printing of the book, but that literally everything else is us. So I'm a, you know, a small plug here. What we realize is that after Minimalist Tiki and after this one, there are other people out there with great ideas. Other people have great content and maybe they won't get a traditional publisher to, to, uh, to want to publish your book. I mean, I, I put a rum book proposal out there. I got shopped around by an agent. Nobody wanted this. Nobody wanted a book on rum. Like, well, you know, Fred Minnick has a book. A Broom has a book. You don't need another rum book. Like, right. Um, and so we we have started. You know, we have a couple couple of 
pipeline, one I will talk about. Um, basically, our 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 uh, company is Wonk Press, like cocktail Wonk, but it's just Wonk Press and Wonk Press. You know, the minimalist tiki. If you look on the spine, it says Wonk Press. Modern Caribbean rum is Wonk Press, and now we've been working with um, several different other authors or other entities uh, to basically do the same idea, like. Like you, if the idea is you provide intellectual capital, you provide the words, the images, the whatever to us, and then we will create the book, print the book, sell it. And the idea is that instead of getting a royalty like you do with a traditional publisher, uh, it's more of a profit sharing model. So however much we make after all of our expenses are paid, print the book, however much we make, we get or however much profit is left over, we divide it in some approximately, you know, equalish um, ratio with with the author. The author doesn't have to do anything. Um, they're welcome to go promote the book themselves. We're going to promote the book. We are both highly financially tied to the success of a book. So, the one we have coming out, um, we would we wouldn't have announced it just quite yet, but um, since since he has, and we're more than happy to, that he has. Uh, there's a guy named Tiki Tom Tom. You can look at Instagram, Tiki Tom Tom. Uh, during COVID, he went around to like 75 home tiki bars, and these are these are not people. They're not people with you know like a couple of bottles. Like these are people who have full on hundreds of thousands of dollar home tiki bar, like the crazy ones. And if, if you look at Tiki Tom Tom on Instagram. You'll see some of the photos. You're like, oh my god, this is insane. So he's been visited them all, taken gorgeous photographs, and written these beautiful narratives about like telling each of their story. And so uh, that book is already uh, has already been essentially laid out, and uh, hopefully it will go to the printer sometime soon. Uh, it's it's more done than not done at this point. So that will be our our third Wonk Press book. And there's other ones in the pipeline, including one really cool one, which, which is not a done deal, so we don't want to jinx it yet. But <laughs> I, think, I think Drew in particular will be very excited about it. So well, what, a cool, you know, what a cool idea, though, like running around to a bunch of people's homes, especially during that time when everybody was so insular. Like, what a great way to, like, you know, still still in, uh, engage the community in a, in a relatively standoff, standoffish way. Yeah. Um, I... I that sounds great. Like what, a, what a fun concept for a book exactly. uh, here, here in Sacramento, we're, we're blessed with having one of the largest home tiki bar communities, at least in the state right. of California. Um, uh, if not, if not like around the country, um, right. we, and it started with, with a, a, a home, home tiki bar crawl that you, you know, originally lasted like maybe a day or two. Right. And I think last time they did it just before COVID, it was like an entire week, and mm -hmm. it, it it stretched all the way down to like Los Gatos, like in in, right. in the South Bay. You know, it was just right. this massive community of people, and there was no before uh, Jungle Bird here in Sacramento. There was no tiki bar in Sacramento, so it was just mm -hmm. a bunch of people who this is all they had. Right. And what a great way to build community. Exactly, exactly. And uh, like I said, I I was struck by it, and and you know just loved watching watching the you know the next post go by, and then. Tom Tom came to New Orleans 
uh, said like, hey, can we meet? And I said, sure, like, where should we meet? Well, obviously we're gonna meet at Ladder 229. I uh, went there and he was like, tell me about like, who is your publisher? How did you, like, oh, we should talk. <laughs> and it was actually kind of, that was one of those seminal moments where we were like, think maybe we can do more, do more with this and just publish my own books. Um, and uh, uh, Tom has been wonderful to work with. He's such a, he's such a great guy, brilliant writer. Um, photos, photos are great. I mean, I, I when I've done <clears throat> printed out the press, you know, the proofs, I'm like, man, this is amazing. And, you know, and I know there are, um, there are tiki, like the people who go to Tiki Oasis and events like that, like they are just kind of freak when they see this. Like it's such a such a gorgeously done uh, presentation. So we're very excited to to be to be printing this, putting sending this to the printers sometime soonish. That's that's so awesome. So I, I was I was thinking about this, and I know like for myself, you know, I pretty much bounce between rum and agave occasionally you know, working some, some whiskey and then there's a lot of wine too, but I always kind of find myself like in a situation where if I kind of get away from rum for a couple months and, and then like something just kind of, you know, lights my fire, right. Where I'm kind of like, I'm like, Oh, I got to know everything about this. Like, but then I do like taking breaks where I'm experiencing different stuff and kind of, and then I like fall back in love with it and, and on and on and on. For you at, at this point, because like so much of your life has been dedicated to just rum and experience all these different rums, like whether it was through the Tiki book or now through the Caribbean book, I mean, is there is there ever a time where you're just kind of like, you just, you know, just give me a spritzer right now, get the rum away from me? Um, so, I mean, have, have you gotten to that point? Is there any, do you have any concerns about that? Or is there still like these rum distilleries that you're like, I cannot wait to finally go to that place? Um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I feel like I lead this sort of dual life in that I, you know, this, you know, and, you know, you have to consider like, you know, I wrote minimalist tiki people must think like, oh, you make tiki drink every single night. And, mm -hmm. you know, the truth is more often than not, you know, every, we, we have a drink every night, pretty much more often than not, it's going to be a tiki drink, but, uh, there's a lot of weekly tiki drinks I make a lot of gin tiki drinks. And and there are nights where you're like, okay, we're just gonna have a white lady. Like we, you know, like you know, all all the bottles in back of me don't they don't get used every single night. So right, I, love all, I love all the other spirits. Um, <laughs> you know, I went to, I went to Isla for or my I went to Isla and in, in the Highlands for my fiftieth birthday. As we spent my fiftieth birthday drinking Scotch whiskey. So I love all the spirits, some more than others, but I love them all. Um, but you know, in terms of my sort of data, like my work day, if you will, like what I'm working on writing about, I think there's um, modern Caribbean rum only scratch part of the itch. There's more out there. There's uh, more books I want to write that are not that are not just sort of like modern Caribbean rum too. <clears throat> um, uh, without giving too much away, I mean, there's the whole idea of, of history of telling. Tell, telling the story of a spirit and how it came about, um, it's sort of like what Dave Wondrich does incredibly well. Um, mm -hmm. I have yeah. so many, so many topics that relate to rum that I, that I'm like, I just, like, yes, I would love to go, you know, love to go write about cognac or pisco or these other spirits. But it's just sort of like, there is so much opportunity right in front of me that nobody, the topics nobody else is addressing. And I'm like, 
I'm just, you know, I'm gonna keep running into that space. So um, does it, you know, I drink all the spirits, but but rum rum just has tons for me. By the way, I forgot to tell you what I was drinking. Um, should I tell you now? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> oh yeah. So this is a cool bottle. One of my favorite weird rums. Bring it up there. So it is Savannah. Oh, Savannah, you bastard. Yeah. This is this is um, from the Savannah Distillery in Re on Reunion Island, and um, one of the funny things, not funny, one of the more fascinating things I learned while researching uh, minimalist tiki is is we think we think that that uh, French rum is like Martinique and Guadeloupe, and it's rum agricole. Like French rum is rum agricole. Mm. In reality, if you take all of the French rum made around the world. About 60 to 70% of it is made from molasses. And you're like, how is this possible? So two, uh, several things. A is that, yes, the majority of Martinique rum is made from king juice, but about 10% of it is not. But Guadeloupe, which is famous for its, for its king juice uh, distilleries as well, Guadeloupe, about 50% of the rum made on Guadeloupe is not uh, king juice rum, it's molasses rum. It goes in, but it goes into brands, blends, things like uh, Negrita and, and things like that. We just don't see it. It's not promoted the same way. Other fun fact, um, Reunion Island, in, which is in the, I think it's in the Indian Ocean, also a French territory of equal stature within the French legal framework as Martinique and Guadalupe. Reunion Island outproduces, not together, but outproduces both Martinique and Guadalupe. Really? And 99, yeah, and 99% of the rum made, over 99% of the rum made on Reunion Island is molasses-based rum. So add it all together, the majority of French rum made around the world is still molasses-based rum. This particular rum is not their sort of the mainstream, uh, the, the Savannah Lawn. It's more of a weird high ester, but it's it's weird in a very different way than the weird Jamaicans or the other Grand, like even the Grand Rome. It has this intense, like it's unaged, 57% uh, EBV, but it's like intense fruitiness. It's almost like, like pineapple and leather boots or something like that. I've never had anything like it. And I just love it. And sort of like whenever I, we have somebody come over who's deeply in the rum, um, but hasn't had this. This is my sort of like, like hit you from left field with something you never experienced before. Everybody is like, "What the hell is this?" I'm like, this "Yeah, is lovely." And so the other the other day, this is what I'm drinking. We happened to be in uh, France a couple months ago, and like I found another bottle. So nice. Yeah, I so think I uh, have a backup bottle. So. Re Reunion Island is definitely that was like one of my um, favorite discoveries over covid we had brought in a rum to my distributor and one of the they were all blends and part of one of the blend was reunion island and i was mm -hmm. like what the fuck is this so i went you know to what i what i consider my rum bible which is um rum revolution by tristan stevenson and i was like okay well that guy talked about literally almost everything so let's see what he has and he had a little blurb on Reunion Island, but it was literally like four sentences. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, I was like, okay, so I don't mm -hmm. know that. So then I start just 
asking around and I just start texting people and messaging people. And like, do you know anything about this room? Do you know anything about this room? And it was pretty much all across the board knows until I got to um, uh, Kate Perry. Mm-hmm. And Kate was like, I have this, I, yes, I have this information. Um, check this out, check this out. You can't share them, but check all these different things out. This is what you need to know. And I was like, this is absolutely fascinating. So then of course I go down the reunion Island, you know, rabbit hole, which, you know, reunion Island is a small Island off the coast of Madagascar. So it's a, you know, like Madagascar is an Island and it's even smaller than that. And there are direct flights there from Paris, which is insane to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have like this place, like you said, that's just producing a ton of juice. And I've only had, I've had like the blend, which, you know, the, any uniqueness that reunion might've brought to it, I I think it's lost in it. But, um, but I did have a bottle of the Habitation Vellier, uh, Savannah distill, uh, distillate that they did. And I totally agree with you. I don't know if you've had that one, but every time I try it, I'm like, this tastes like freaking bubble gum. What is going on in this freaking bottle? This is so insane to me. And right. it is one that like, you know, I tried to drink my stuff and, and bat it down, but it is, it is same, same mindset as you. It's like friend comes over that's into rum. You got to try this one. Cause like, this is bad <clears throat> shit crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and what you, I think what you're seeing there is you're, we're sort of going to go off a little bit here, but what you're seeing there and what I've realized in writing the book was that we have sort of siloed our, the rum world is kind of siloed based on language. Um, and mm-hmm. it sort of comes back to the old colonial, you know, col- you know, Caribbean colonial things of like, like us English speakers know mostly about the English speaking Caribbean it's distilleries. And we know a little bit about Martinique, you know, and cane juice, but, but um, if you go into the French blogs you know, for the French uh, references, you'll see all, all sorts of things about reunion, for example. Um, and if likewise, if you go into the Spanish Caribbean, you talk to you know rum people in like Nicaragua or Panama or whatever, they have no idea what's going on in Martinique, a relatively little idea. Right. So in order to do this book, I, I realized it's like I can't just you know, go off of information that you know my friends tell me or that I can you know find. Uh, easily, you know, Google searches, like, I'm going to have to, like, you know, I was constantly doing Google searches, like, doing it once in English, and then translating up French, and doing the search again in French, and translating Spanish, doing it in Spanish, and it's, like, it's amazing how much more information out there, and other, like, not your native language, uh, and I got very good with Google Translate, um, and so, <laughs> sort of, like, we each have our, you know, like, you know, as, as if you only speak one language, you're, you're, you only have like a siloed view of the rum world. And I think right. um, it, was, it, was, it was very gratifying. I was talking, I was chatting with uh, Alexander Vintier, who writes Rum Porter. And, um, and he's, he's also an intense researcher. And he said, you know, he had the book and he said, like, all of your research in the history and the legal aspects lines up with mine. And like, that was a huge endorsement for me because like, I'm not a native French speaker. But I, I did my homework. I was trolling through like French parliamentary documents on, you know, the legislative documents on this. And I was trolling through obscure Spanish language books written in 1900, 1910 to track down these stories. So it, I, I feel like this is a truly um, pan Caribbean book, not like, well, here's the English, the English perspective on Caribbean rum. 
Yeah, I think that's, you know, we had you on on the virtual happy hour that I was doing during the pandemic. And and, I, and I, maybe it wasn't that conversation, but another one that we've had, because we have had a lot of just like conversations here and there about what about just oh, everything rum related. And I remember you had this level of excitement for the fact that you just got access to old like United Kingdom news archives. Mm-hmm. And you're like, they have everything. And it's like, and you just pay this and it's insane. And like, you just go back. And I just was like, I don't know if I've ever been that excited about anything, let alone the archives of, you know, British newspapers. Like yeah. it, was, yeah. it was really fun. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, one of the things I learned is that, um, you know, I'm friends with other writers. Um, I love what they do, but I learned like, I can't, you if you're going to do what I'm trying to do, you can't just trust what another contemporary writer says. Like yeah. they may point you in different directions, but everything, and this is one reason the book takes took so damn long, was I'm, I'm very much an original source. Go back to the expert, go back to the go back to the expert in the field and the distiller, go back to the to the what the history archives say not you know what what a 1904 book written in french says not somebody's interpretation of that that they you know glean from somebody else you know got to get rid of that all that telephone stuff you know the game of telephone right go back to the original sources and so for me those the archives are gold mines of like interesting things and <clears throat> stories and facts that you had no idea about that like you know, one of one of my favorite discoveries is, is you know, we talk about you know Hyester Jamaican rum, and we talk about um, you know Grande Rome in French, but if you dig enough and you connect enough dots, you realize um, they were essentially made for the same purpose and they were used the same way. You talk about like um, Hyester rum was basically created to create rum for Schnitt, continental rum, basically to be, you know, highest rum sent to Germany to be diluted, if you will, or adulterated with a neutral local spirit um, that costs less, the exact same thing was happening in the French French view of the world and that the French were making Grand de Rome, yeah. probably butchering France, sending it to France and their blenders were diluting it with their less expensive neutral local spirit. So it was sort of like two parallel stories. Nobody, nobody connected those dots really in the modern times. But go back to the original sources; that becomes clear. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I, and I, mean, that's I, why do... I love that. I mean, that's why I love that stuff is because <laughs> it, it's sort of it's like the unfiltered, untranslated view of, of what was happening. So before we move on to our top stories, and we're going to probably keep those pretty brief because we've had such a great conversation, but also a long conversation thus far. Um, but this is what we want. We want this conversation. Who cares about the top stories today, as far as I'm concerned? Okay. <laughs> so I'll just put that out there. Um, is there a holy grail of information that you like cannot wait to get your hands on, are striving to find, or like, does anything exist within the Matt, Indiana Jones, Petrick world that, that, that comes to mind right now? Okay. So my... My holy grail, and it, and it, you know, it's not some grand overarching source that you know reveals all. But uh, if you said like you you ha- you can you have your choice of 
one source of records that you that you could find that somebody would just hand to you it would be the the essentially the records whatever records and i hope they kept records wrote the stuff down records of the uh royal navy blenders in the 1800s because like i've peeled back enough of the onion in terms of of uh, uh how royal navy rum was essentially made like who they were buying from where it went uh we know there were bats and we know there were we knew that there were um uh, several different vittling yards but once the rum arrived it's kind of a black hole like right. like and dave wonders and i have sort of uh, speculated about this and sort of come to no it's, it's it's a day records Dave or Alexander Gabriel, I forget, but basically speculated on like if you've got like 30 vats and you got like rum going into one vat and rum coming out the other vat, there's so many different ways. Like maybe we keep all the Jamaicans together here and all the guy in over here, we just blend at the end, or maybe they all just get stumped and it's flowing between them. Like there's so many questions I have around that blending process and you know the, the story as the stories are told like they were open vats like literally evaporating like massively evaporating yeah. um uh there's so much about that that i that i it's sort of it is my holy grail of like i will track this down if it kills me well um, you did you did that article where you talked about kind of like the historical influences and the different like the different places that they were coming from and i've told you this before and i'll tell you again that article or that story, I don't know what the correct terminology is for that, but you know, your your writing on that subject lives rent-free in my head. I think about that story, I mean, at least once every two weeks, just because it's just like something like, you know, again, when you're as involved in rum as I am, like there's ways it comes up, but um, it's not, you know, totally out of nowhere, but but it, it was just, it's so well done. And there's just so many things. And, and even in modern Caribbean rub, like you kind of come out and be like, Hey, I'm going to dispel these things and these views that you have on the Caribbean rum. And, you know, and that was like, when I texted you, I was like, I have so many thoughts about this, you know, cause it was just like, cause you are going, like you do to kind of like upset a lot of these different things. And I think yeah. out of that article, you know, my big, one of my takeaways was, you know, it's like Jamaican rum, you know, it was part of it at times, but for the most part, it wasn't preferred right yeah. so because it was too funky it was the esters were too much for people and the sailors yeah. were like get that out of my face i don't yeah. want that so yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of like the the rec the, like the records we do have that talk about specific taste suggest it's not it was not in there like <clears throat> i mean one of the the challenge with this history stuff is is a couple of things a is that once is that people sort of assume the way things are now that they were always like that. Yeah. But it, like if you're going to do history, you have to sort of like throw that away. So in you know, and you know, the prime example, one of my favorite examples is is like, oh, recipe for a Mai Tai. Well, 1955 or whatever, Trader Vic started using Martinique rum in the Mai Tai. And you're like, uh, so yes, wow, he's using cane juice rum in the Mai Tai. Like, no. <laughs> That that Martinique rum that was made available outside of Martinique at the time was almost certainly a molasses rum. Yeah. So there's that assumption, um, and, and so there's that part. And then and hell, I forgot I forgot the other part. But you <laughs> you, you, you have you you have to sort of 
play devil's advocate with your own work, that I read something and this is a data point and you can say, okay, I can apply this data point to the situation, but go 10 years forward or 10 years backwards or go to a different island. It may not be true. Right. A lot, a lot of this, a lot of this work is sort of validating like, okay, I think it's like this, but now I'm, I sort of find myself looking for any evidence to the contrary somewhere else. Um, you know, another another one of the great stories is, you know, Navy rum was fifty seven percent. Like, no, it was not issued fifty seven percent. Issued at fifty four point five, and oh well, they used a gunpowder test. Right. And you're like, no, you know, it's like oh well, they used a gunpowder test because they didn't have a hydrometer till, until until eighteen sixteen. You're like, I mean, one of my most recent Substack articles is like obliterated that one of like. Look, we have hydrometers back to 1740. We have the Royal Navy using the hydrometers that far back. <laughs> and also, if the rum you were issuing, if you stated the rum you were issuing was less than proof strength, it all would have failed to contest. So those, right. those, are, those are the kind of stories I, I would like these sort of like, you know, again, telephone. Somehow it's morphed into this sort of common thing that gets repeated over and over again in modern times. You're like, that, that's not true. That's well, possibly true. I, I mean, love it's that. it's it's. I mean, obviously, this is this is not just being pragmatic, but it's being like actively pragmatic, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. And and I think maybe some of those narratives, which you know you see unfold on Facebook groups and things right. like that, and chat boards of just kind of like the same information regurgitated over and over again. Right. It's the same kind of you know um, same people doing the same things, and just be like you said, becomes this becomes this game right. of yeah. game I of mean, telephone. Even, like, yeah, even in modern times, like one of the, there's a whole you know at some point I realized I wanted to do a whole chapter just sort of dispelling the notion of of Spanish heritage rum or basically a defense of Spanish heritage rum in that, oh, it's all distilled to 95% ABV and it has no flavor. And like, clearly you don't know about Agrediente. Clearly you don't know about Splendid. Clearly you don't know many of these of the Central American, South South Central American distilleries have pot stills. They're blending. It's the, but again, it's just sort of, again, somebody says, you know, like Cuban rum or Puerto Rican rum is all light 95% alcohol with no flavor. And it just gets repeated over and over again. And so, you know, the book was sort of my, in one one aspect, my, like, here's this whole, among other things, here's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm just trying to, like, lay it all out there and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Do you think that's why rum struggles to gain kind of the popularity of other products like whiskeys and things, just because it can be so chaotic and there are some misconceptions that just live large in people's brains? I know I, I think it's it's just it's a much larger space to try to wrap your head around and mm-hmm. sort of comes back to you know one of one of those constant themes is is that rum 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 is not a category equivalent to bourbon or to scotch whiskey rum is a category equivalent to whiskey or brandy in the same way that brandy has all of its subcategories pisco cognac armagnac calvados whatever brandy has Rum is the same way that we shouldn't think Barbados rum and Martinique rum are just sort of slightly different. They're 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 like their own distinct categories, as distinct as bourbon and Scotch whiskey. And so, and people don't don't understand that. And it's just such a it's a such a large space to wrap your head around that that you know people give up or or they only focus on one thing and don't you know and say things that may be true for the little 
portion are paying attention to, but aren't true in the broader sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, why don't we? Why don't we give our opinions on on facts we've heard from reputable sources? While, uh, or I'm just going to keep going into rum talk with Matt. This will never stop. Okay, so in the first article, um, this was actually sent to me by Chris, and I had just I had just read it, so we were on the same cosmic wavelength when it happened. But it was talking about natural wine and it being poured in clubs, and how there is this traveling, essentially nightclub of natural wine. And I think this is funny because just last week my wife went down to went down to Napa. I told her to go to one of my favorite bar wine bars down there, which is called Cadet Wine Bar. And I was like, you need to go. And she's texting me the whole time. She's like it's like a college bar, but with wine, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, just enjoy the hell out of yourself. So I feel like this is something that's happening in other places, but specifically with natural wine, because that is trending towards a younger group. Um, We've talked about natural wine on the show so many freaking times, but Chris, what was it about this article that kind of stuck out to you that you're like, let's, let's discuss this one. I think what it did was it it really uh, put a, put a pin on the fact that, uh, what you and I have talked about over the last few years, uh, you know, well, what do you think about natty wine? Okay, well, what's happening with the sort of the the demographic that's kind of dying off that loves the like overly oaked um, Napa cabs and Sonoma wines, right? To me, this just like puts puts a pin on it that that wine is really undergoing this this huge transformation and renaissance, right? There's it's it's becoming so much less of, you know, these multi-million dollar estates that people are, you know, you can go visit. And I mean, that's, it's certainly part of the wine experience, but it's becoming more about becoming more approachable. How do you, how do you enjoy it in your, you know, in your everyday life? What else can you do with it? (laughs) You know, which has always sort of been a part of the wine, um, you know, glory, but you know, it's was so much more fascinating to be able to know, you know, sub genres of grape varietals and, and where, where the sun was hitting at any particular point in time on this vineyard. And now people are like, fuck it. Like, I just want to dance to disco and give me a glass full of bubbly and let's rock. And I, (laughs) everything about this, I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, because that's, you know, so much about drinking for me as a, as a whole anyway. I mean, as nerdy as we are, you know, booze is always sort of the, it's, it's always the, the cherry on top of the experience. And that's, that's what I try to like teach my bartenders. It's what I try to, you know, teach, um, you know, when, whenever doing consulting is it's so much more about the experience that you're having and the booze adds to that rather than, rather than like the focus being on the booze, like let's just accentuate the, the good time that you're having, the, the people that you're with, the conversation that you're having, what, you know, what music you're listening to, what food you're eating, all of that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's wine, if it's rum, if it's if it's mezcal, you know, agave. All of that should just go go along with whatever it is that you're doing. It, I, I find that when it becomes the focus is when it really starts becoming a little bit more unhealthy. Well, I, I do think that there are some natty wine bros out there that are going to talk to you about moon position during harvest and stuff like that. So let's not completely rule it out. <laughs> I, you two, know, uh... I mean, it, that goes <laughs> that goes goes you know hand in hand, but. You know, just like you and I talked about, you know, like Georgian wines and whatnot, you know, when you're saying like, oh, natural wine, they're like, oh, you mean wine? You're like, yeah, wine. 
exactly wine you know the natural wine movement is very much an american and western sort of uh, phenomenon um i i don't imagine that it's having quite the same gestalt in in europe that it that it's having here so matt when you read this i mean what were some of your thoughts I mean, the reason that i thought you would be a good person to talk about this because you know you have seen some evolution within the rum world i think it's been slower but it's definitely still changed from when you started writing was he said 2013 till till now um you know what were your thoughts when when you read something like this i mean and obviously you're hugely based on experience too it's like you don't take all these beautiful photos unless you're having a great time right. um but i mean what what were your thoughts so you know i will i will confess like i enjoy wine but i don't chase wine you know there's, there's a few bottles down there but i don't you know i don't consider myself within that wine class although many of my friends are um, but I, you know, I've only became aware of nat you know, the natural wine movement, if you will, maybe a year or two ago, uh, and I've had it, and I and I really enjoy it. And I think one of the things that I, I find what I, that I particularly like, and I've sort of, and I've seen this with beer, it's like I could, I could, you could place beer or wine with beer in what I just said, <clears throat> but I love. Um, you know, when it comes to rum, I love sort of like an unaged rum. I love, I love rum that hasn't been over oaked, rum that mm -hmm. has a distinct furore to it. Um, very simple, like we haven't processed it other ways. We haven't like thrown it through six types of wood and and some additives or whatever. I like it to be like this is this is like made as simply as possible, and it expresses some particularly interesting flavors. And I sort of get that same thing with the natural wine space and that it's like, like, we're not trying to refine it. We're not trying to make it fit within some parameters. It's just sort of, it's like raw and vibrant and, you know, sort of like, it's great. You know, we've taken grapes, we've juiced them, we've left them ferment and we haven't pro over processed it. And so it has its own distinct flavors to it. And so like, I'm happy that's, hap that's happening in terms of, you know, whether, you know, like how it's being, you know, promoted as part of, you know, you know, a younger crowd, whatever, like that's, you know, whatever, you know, whatever works, it's not, that's not my sort of lifestyle at the moment, but, you know. No, hey, not ours either. I mean, just yeah. let's, let's be clear on that. I mean, I'm, yeah. although I, I will say, like I said, a place like Cadet Napa, like they do a good job of, of balancing that. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we've also seen in the rum world is you know more and more movement towards transparency and i mm -hmm. think that's one of the things that really appeals especially to younger drinkers about um about natural wine is because everybody wants to know like what's in their food what are they drinking and you know it's for so long we were conditioned just to kind of like be quiet accept what you're drinking and move on from there and right. now when you find out like oh you can put this in here and you can put that in there do you think that's something that will will continue to help the rum world when it comes like the same way it's helped natural wine. It's just like more transparency, more uh, just being upfront about like, yeah, we're, we are doing this or we're not doing this, you know? It's a, it's a good question. Um, I'm very much in favor of transparency. I think, you know, the challenge, I think, you know, I think, I think wine has an advantage because it's simpler in that you take some, you take grapes, you ferment them. There you go. That's your wine. And yeah. I, think, I think any spirit has an inherently more challenging uh, 
story to get across. And people, you know, transparency only works if you understand kind of how how the whole thing, how it's supposed to work. Um, you know, but you know, the notion of well, you have your source materials and some have to be cooked, and you know, like whiskey and the grains have to be cooked, whereas whereas like brandies or or rums will need to be cooked, um, different styles of distillation, et cetera, et cetera. I think that that the the transparency what I'm seeing is that the, the the transparency that people are demanding now is primarily coming I think from the enthusiasts themselves from like the geeks like you and us like we here those are the geeks demanding transparency I don't know that the entry level consumer is necessarily hankering for that yeah I think you know we, yeah we it, did, but I don't see that myself no and you're absolutely right they're they're not I mean and that's and that's the thing and I think that's um it's funny I had during one of my tastings this past week like someone kind of bring that up to me they're like yeah but who cares about this and I'm like oh, all right fair enough you know and that was that was about tequila I think with the natural wine thing um you know has had a success is that you're kind of almost able to break it down a lot easier than you are to your point of like everything else. Right. It's kind of like, Oh yeah, just, there's nothing added into it. Like it did this and that, you know, it's like, and so now all these things have popped up. I mean, just in Sacramento alone, we have three natural wine bars who oddly enough have all kind of moved away from calling it a natural wine bar, but they are technically natural wine bars. Um, so, I, I mean, I do think that there's, you know, there's, there's obviously some opportunity within the rum world, but I guess we'd have to find like, you know, what's, like, what's the way to do this? I mean, because even something like Black Tot, which does this really good job of <clears throat> listing out, you know, all the different distilleries, you know, 95% of people are going to look at that label and be like, what the fuck does this mean? What is this? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, one of the thing, one of the things I'm proud of and it got a little traction, but, you know, I would, I would love to see it get more is not so much, you know, you know, to some people, transparency means is there sugar added or not? Right. But I think from yeah. my perspective, I would like to see the less focus on like, oh, it's a this style of rum or so that style. it's an overproof rum, it's a white rum, it's a gold rum. Um, I wrote an article where I basically outlined, okay, if you're an enthusiast and you care about this, maybe there are six or seven things that every producer should have no problem disclosing. Put that on the bottle, but that's enough information for uh, us to basically look at this bottle and go like, oh, I kind of have an idea what this is. Like, yeah. is it, was it cane juice or was it molasses? Was it pot, was it, you know, a short fermentation or long fermentation? Was it pot distilled or column distilled? Did you age it or not age it? Like some basic information and not, where did you do these things? Was it wild fermentation or not? You know, basically a small enough set of criteria that again, any, any producer, you know, any good producer should think, yes, it was a wild fermentation, for example, no secrets in there, but enough information to where you could pick up a bottle and go like, oh, I kind of understand what this is going to be. Like this is, these are sort of the parameters I expect from like wild Jamaican rum fire, for example, or these are the things I expect from Bacardi, for example. But instead of calling it this, this style or that style, or VO or whatever, just like give us the basic information, you know, basic simple production information. To me, I would love to see that uh, as a way of you know more transparency of, of in the rum world. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Chris, to kind of bring it back to the natural wine. I mean, do you see this as like uh, as going to be like a growing trend where you're going to have more and more nightclub sparklers? all this fun settings when it comes to association with natural wine or 
do you think this is something that I don't know might be more of just kind of the time I think it's more of more of hearkening towards a, a shift in how people just engage with hospitality in general um I I think it it's breaking of the norms and sort of redefining the redefining sort of what we expect from you know the bars wine bars cocktail bars anything that you know we we grew up you know engaging with right i, I think right. It's, a, it's it's a brand new evolution and i honestly i'm really excited to sort of see what comes out of it there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of creativity and if they they're given access to the marketplace i I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, me too. I definitely hope it goes, it continues to go this way. I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, kind of a classic traditional wine bar that's uh, somewhat near to me. And, you know, and it's like, oh, and this past weekend they did a Christmas craft fair. And it's kind of like, that is just not the audience that we need to be going <laughs> after for wine at this point. Make it fun, make it funky. Like let's, let's redefine wine. Um, okay. So I think I think we're gonna skip the the second the second article is basically just buying pairs top 100 spirits it, it was a, it was a decent list but I want to jump into our uh, dope follows. Oh, okay. You Go know ahead. who's dope? Them over there. All right, so dope follows. This is where we're gonna tell you who we think is dope, who you should be following, who should be checking out. It could be podcasts, books, movies, whatever we think is dope right now that we think that you should be checking out. So. Matt, kick it off for us. Who is your dope follow? So the, you know, the one that immediately comes to mind is, well, uh, I can come up with two. The one who immediately comes to mind, uh, first one, it would be Lance Suraj Bali. Suraj Bali, better known as the Lone Caner. Yes. He is, yes, he is, he is uh, the rum, uh, a rum writer, like, Funny, we have we have these amazing conversations there, you know, like the Romanati, if you will, is sort of like it is like the most inside <laughs> baseball conversation. The Romanati, oh my god! At the end so of the good. day, like our writing comes out wildly different. Yeah, and I love to read his writing. I think he likes to read my writing, but I yeah, I love his stuff. He's um, there was one again, another one that kind of lives rent free. But when he did Moaba rum and yeah. broke that down, and it was like two or three parts that he had to do it in. And right. I will say that the format that his that his website pops up is very intimidating. It's kind right. of like a oh shit, like this is okay. I got to buckle up here and really kind of plug in. But I'm sorry, go ahead. What's what's your next one? Uh, other one, the other one is is um i i just love the hell out of the creativity of, of brian maxwell who's a shaker of spirits uh he is he is in our book um just the um I mean, like during during covid like when when lundridge was doing his like um 100 100 you know, you know basically day after do, do different thing every day brian was also coming up with a new cocktail every day and like a story around the cocktail uh, incredibly innovative, um, not only in the tiki space but also in the, in the other, the other sort of cocktail genres. And I just love pretty much anything he makes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna adore. And so, um, I said he has a blog. It's Shaker of Spirits. Um, he said, he, and he's just a great guy. We're friends, talk about stuff. Um, 
And yeah. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chris, who are your dope follows this week? Uh, mine is a uh, surprise, surprise, not on Instagram. Uh, and I'm not certain if we did this, it, it, if, if this was a dope follow, it probably was like season one. So it deserves to, to come back. And, uh, that's the, the Mark Brown report. Uh, Mark oh, Brown yeah. report is a, is a great email, um, that comes out once a day. I, I, I get it at midnight every, yeah every night. And, um, it, it really just breaks down, uh, a lot of industry topics, a lot of industry news. It's, it's very nerdy. Um, you can go, you can go very deep or you can just skim, uh, headlines and, and get a, get a loose idea. But if you're as interested in this industry as Drew and I are, it's, it's a necessity. You, you have to subscribe to it and, and get it. It's a free, it's a free email blast. Uh, they're just going to ask you if you're part of the industry or you know how you're affiliated and then you get it every day it was so funny because it's like i remember i uh i started with the mark brown report i think during my diageo days and then each time i would switch i would just add myself to that report right never got a pushback as soon as i as soon as i like try to get on it on my like gmail account it was like how'd you hear about this? Yeah. And I just was like, Oh, this is, Oh, and you can, and the funny thing is, is that Mark actually does run that email thing, which is insane to me. Um, yeah. And it's also obviously ends up being one of our chief resources in terms of sourcing stories for the show and stuff. And um, you know, if this, if this thing ever makes money, we'll have to send him some residuals because <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> he's a big, he's a big contributor um all right so uh so obviously that leaves me so my my don't follow uh not industry related but it's an instagram account and it is called the next catch and basically it is just uh an account dedicated to um highlighting all kinds of like fishing escapades and it just the things that people catch the stuff the videos that they put on there are insane. It's always, it. I always enjoy it. So um, again, it's the next catch, even if you're not into fishing, like just some of the things that they, I'm not into fishing. So I am, I am proof of this, that it is just very, very enjoyable. So, um, so that's my don't fall. Check that one out. Music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated by the Moore Brothers and produced pretty well by us two guys. Before we go and kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review, tell your friends. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison 6 Chris is Kristen Flair. Matt, where can they find you? How can people reach you? Oh, and then how can they buy your book? Okay, uh, yes, first thing first, commerce. Uh, so our book is sold, so we don't, it's not on Amazon, it's on bookstores. We sell it directly, we are the publisher, we sell directly. Uh, it is Wonk Press, so W-O-N-K, same like cocktail Wonk, wonkpress.com, that's where you buy Minimalist Tiki, Modern Tribute Rum, and soon other books that are our project. So uh, Wonk Press is, is the sort of e-commerce site for us. Uh, in terms of social media, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. 
Uh, Cocktail Wonk was the original one. Cocktail Wonk is on is on all three. Uh, I've subsequently uh, sort of split Cocktail Wonk into like the cocktail things go to Cocktail Wonk. The rum things go to Rum Wonk. So just like Cocktail Wonk, Rum Wonk. Uh, there is a Rum Wonk uh, Instagram. Um, there is a Rum Wonk um, uh, Twitter, and there is a Rum Wonk Substack. So if you want my my latest and greatest rum writings, uh, Rum Wonk. Uh, rumwalk.com is my substack and uh then there's also modern caribbean rum has has all the handles or whatever for the book um but those are those are the big ones and then also i also don't i should add um also um do do basically help out work uh, uh authentic caribbean rum all those kind of things so acr rum love it so many so many talents here i know right it's a it's a full-time <laughs> job just keeping up with all that uh, I believe it, man. I, I fucking believe it. I, I see you working. I see it. Uh, if you would like for us to cover a story, or if you're working with a brand that would like to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. I will eventually check that email. It's been a while, but I'm going to do it. Um, and as a reminder, uh, you can always purchase bottles at the Good Bottle Shop. Are we, are we doing that right now? Or are we going to wait till you get to your new location? No, we're we- going to uh, we'll wait until I'm open again. Okay, well, just go to Matt's house and drink some of his rum, okay? He's got enough. That's what we got to do, but um, yeah, Matt, again, thank you. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate you. Um, You know, what we want to do now before we completely cheers and and head off is uh, I want to throw it over to Chris. We unfortunately lost a good friend of ours this past weekend, so Chris, why don't you take it away and show a little bit of love for for Mr. Nurge? Yeah, um, uh, a few days ago, uh, maybe two days ago, I was contacted by my ex-boss's um, ex-wife, Carrie Nurge, and she informed me that uh, my very good friend, Matt Nurge, uh, had passed away that morning. Uh, Matt was... Um, he was a luminary in the Sacramento cocktail scene. I mean, there are so many people who are considered sort of OGs of the cocktail scene that he predates and, and even taught them and got them interested in cocktails. I mean, he was a personality. He was brilliant. Um, certainly had his own demons, but the man, um, the man really, really played a huge part in my career. And uh, I will, I will never ever support him. And I will cherish to the day I die. Um, the amount of times in the last year or two that he told me that he was proud of me. So here's to Matt Nurge. Uh, we love you, buddy. Yeah. Cheers, Nurge. Big influence. Um, and Mr. Petrick, thank you again so much for, for joining us today, man. You're the best. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm always happy to chat where I'm with you guys. All right. Cheers guys. Cheers, cheers boys. Cheers.